0: sensed, not because of anybody you met, but because of the presence of the King that you were loved and cared for. And um, if you haven't been here before, this might be a little different than the church you've been to. Maybe we sing different songs, but we worship the Lord God Almighty, and uh, the reason we worship Him is because He loves us so profoundly. I hope that you sense that, and I, I want to say one other thing about that. Don't know what you have come here from, whether you're weak or month or year has been a firefight in your life. I don't know why that phrase comes to my mind. Or whether it's been just a climb up a mountain or it's been smooth sailing or you've been coasting on a cool bike. I don't know what your life has been, but the love of God is real and he compels you and he calls you to come to him today. And uh, I hope that you have sensed that in this place, um, you're just surrounded by a bunch of people who love God, who trust his word. And, uh, and this is just where we choose to call church home. So if you don't have a church home, make this your church home. We'll love on you. We'll love you anyway. And um, something else I want to mention to you. You know that the video and the sound from here goes in the cookie room? So some people are in church in there. I think we've never done this before. But I think we should say, hi, family, real loud to them so they hear us in there because they hear me. So I'm going to say one, two, three. And on that, we say, hi, family, really loud. One, two, three. Great. Okay. Okay. Now, the reason I interrupted. (laughs) The reason I interrupted is um, you know, a car ran into our building over here, right? Okay. And we've been fixing it. I want you to know that uh, we're moving forward with that. Uh, Most of the repairs have been done. We've been waiting for a window to arrive. Then we can do the exterior. But we want you to know we've made it into a safe environment for our kids. The building is structurally good. And also, um, Pastor Seth, who's not here today, he and his wife are away for a birthday trip to. Butchart Gardens, perfect place to go, perfect place to take your wife. I'll take you there someday, again. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, um, Pastor Seth has been bugging Thurston County, saying, hey, what about the cars coming down the hill? And, and they're favorable to help us with that issue. They just don't move as quickly as we'd like. <laughs> Lord, we pray for them. Bless them. Right? Amen. Okay, sorry. Thanks for letting me interrupt you. <laughs>
1: All right, so another thing is um, we, last week of kids, we, we are on a month-long mission to make kids understand they belong. I, it's our goal in life anyway, but um, emphasis this month. And so last week we passed out these magnets, and not everybody got when we were, like, Oh ye of little faith, didn't print enough. So anyway, there's more. If you want a magnet, this prayer points for kids that we would encourage you to pray over your kids before you send them off to school. And if you're not a parent and a grandparent or something, you still want to pray for kids and you need this. They are out there in the foyer. So you don't have to wait till they
0: go to school to pray for a mom and dad. Right? Not. Okay.
1: One more thing. Isn't Tuesday Flag Day? I think it is. I don't know. <laughs> I think it is, and I just want to say, Tori, thank you for defending our flag. Bless my heart, she's <laughs> she's home on leave, but I don't. You know
0: made why. my wife cry. <laughs> well done. Oh, look at the girls are crying.
1: <laughs> she surprised her grandparents at a Mariners game by coming home unexpectedly. So national TV coming right home here, from Kuwait. Okay. So anyway, we have a star in our midst, and I'm thankful for her. Thanks, Tori. Okay.
0: Hey. <laughs> How cool is that?
1: I appreciate you. Okay, are there any kids who have a memory verse they want to share?
0: Okay, memory verse. Who else? Oh, right here. Two of you. Oh, boy, this will be a good day.
1: Oh, whoa, we got a cheerleader, too. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) All right. Tell us your name. Mute face out there.
0: Grace. Stand back here so Um, all these people can see my beautiful granddaughter.
1: (laughs) And then. Okay, go ahead.
0: First, John. 414,
1: the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Good job. <laughs> good <laughs> well good done, God. Grace. <laughs> Con- okay. Conley, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, be your name, let your kingdom come, Luke 11, 2. Good job. <laughs> good, <laughs> good job. job. Miranda, um, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me.
0: Good Good job. All right. This guy's growing tall. I know. All of a sudden,
1: bam. What? Tell us your name. Not everybody knows. Brock. For there is no condemnation in the Lord. Okay.
0: That works. Close enough.
1: Here you go, bud. Thank you. Good job. All right. So, kids, you're dismissed to go with your teachers.
0: Where's my music? Uh-oh. Okay. Now you know why I'm not a worship leader? Okay. Okay. Thanks. So, the magnet that Lisa mentioned is, the, um, is a list of prayer points for parents that specifically was designed to uh, pray over your children before you send them off to school. Our children's and uh, youth leaders have planned for this month to be a month of prayer. And you found on your seats when you came in um, a copy of this. And this is the emphasis that we'll be praying over for the entire month. And it's meant to be just a reminder. And listen, we're asking every one of you to pray these issues every day. And it's not a big deal. And it's not going to take a lot of your time. So... Um, um, uh, I was asked to pray over the first one, so September 9th to the 15th. Today's the 9th, so um, the first one on this is pray for kids who have strong families, solidly rooted in Christ, and it gives a scripture reference, so I'll pray, you agree. Lord, we, we do, we pray for our kids to find themselves rooted in a place that loves you, that the word of God is honored, that Lord, there would be a firm foundation built in their life. Lord, put them upon that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen? amen. Now, if you have a pen... You go check mark on Sunday, right? Okay. That's how hard this is. Let's take this home with you, and we hope that you will do this. Okay. So today is the ninth. You know, I like to start with Proverbs. Here's a verse out of Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, Lord, as we get into your word today, God, I pray that we will learn today as. as what you, you have for us to learn about the place that Jesus said he was going to go and prepare for us. It's a big deal, and uh, why do you want us to know about it and uh, what it is you want us to know? Help us understand that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? So I've got the pulpit back here so that I have a little bit of room because I have a pop quiz for you. This is just a question. See if you can figure out what this is. It's a day at Disneyland. <laughs> okay. Okay. You had to have been there. Anybody here ever been to Disneyland? Let's see hands. Oh, wow. Good deal. I, I love going to Disneyland. Um, I, I, I had a perfect day at Disneyland. We've been there several times. You can guess I'm the kind of guy that likes... I haven't been there for a long time, but I love going to Disneyland and... Um, I had a perfect, perfect time there at one point. I've been several times with my family, and it's been years, but um, there was a point where somebody said, hey, we want you and your family to be blessed, so they arranged for us to have a week in the Disneyland Hotel, which is like, that's like winning the lottery, because it's like... $10,000 $10,000 a night or something, I don't know, it's really, really expensive, <laughs> but it's really cool because the monorail comes right to the lobby, you don't have to stand in line, and it drop, dumps you off in the middle of Disneyland, and it starts earlier than the, than, than the public gets in, and it goes later than the public gets in, gets in and so we had our family there, and uh, and had lots of fun with our kids. They were pretty little at the time. And um, there was one evening where, I, I don't know if it was during the parade or what, I, didn't, I wasn't really cognizant of the parade, the Main Street parade, but um, Rachel and I built this affinity for Splash Mountain. Okay, The boys screamed. Okay, But Rachel, for some reason, decided it was a hilarious fun, and as did I. And so after dinner, we hopped on the monorail and went in and went right straight to Splash Mountain. There was nobody in line. God just cleared that place out. There was nobody in line. So we went and we we did that thing where you gotta go up, you know, there's nobody there. We could just go get on, but no, you gotta go through the line. We go through the line, there's nobody in line, hop on, off we go, splash, you know, the buzzing bees, everybody's gotta laugh, you know, all that stuff, right? Okay, had a blast. We come in, nobody's in there. We come in, we say, Can we go again? They say, No, sorry, you gotta go get in line. Okay, so we jumped out, ran around, <laughs> ran around, ran, around, ran, ran, hopped back on the same log. I'm sure it hadn't moved. <laughs> went around again. Everybody's got it. You know, the whole thing. It was a blast twice. Can we stay on? No. yet. So we went around around a third time. By the fourth and fifth times, they just said, stay on the log. Stay on the log. We went around, was it six times? Six or seven times. Yay. We didn't have to stand in line for our favorite ride at Disneyland. It was a perfect day. The next day, the next day, Got all of our little ducklings, and we're going into um, the part where all of the fairy princesses, you know, where the castle, sleeping beauty's castle is. And right out front of there, I've never seen the ceremony before, but there's a big old, big old stone there, and there's a sword in it. And all these kids cl- go up there, and they try to pull the sword out, and, they, and it doesn't come out. Somebody somewhere is watching, you know. And they push a button, and it lets it go. But anyway, nobody could pull the sword out. Then Joseph, my son... <laughs> Little Joseph runs up there and when he grabs that thing, out it comes. And they made a fuss. He pulled out the sword. He's the one. And they made him mayor of Disneyland for the day. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Disneyland, Walt Disney called it the Magic Kingdom. And it's It's a place to do for you what, you know, I just, this experience. And and opening day, back when Disneyland opened in 1955, one year and one day after construction started. That's inconceivable today. But one year and a day it opened um, after it started. And it was such a big event. ABC did a 90-minute live broadcast of the opening of Disneyland on, on its national uh, broadcast. And entrance that day was by invitation, invitational tickets only. They printed 15,000 of them and they handed out to whoever they wanted to. The problem was that people figured it out and there were a lot of counterfeit tickets printed. And, um, and they figured that of the 15,000 that were in, in invited, 35,000 people showed up. Now, some of them didn't have a counterfeit ticket. They had a ladder, and there was a guy, there was at least one guy who was charging five bucks a head to boost people over the fence. 35,000 people, well, it caused some real problems. They had a seven-mile backup on the freeway, the I-5, which is a mile or so away from there. It's not very close. Now, a seven-mile backup doesn't sound like that much to you and me today. But in 1955, that was unheard of. In fact, a seven-mile backup, like a brick, families... On a Sunday, taking their kids to Disneyland. Cars couldn't move. You know about kids. They got to use a restroom, right? They were literally using the side of the road for restroom breaks, including the parking lot at Disneyland. The problems were just beginning. They had all kinds of problems. Um, the, The temperature that day was over 100 degrees, and um, the the fountains mostly in the park weren't hooked up, and they weren't operating yet because there was a plumber strike. And um, they didn't have enough food. In fact, the three restaurants in Disneyland ran out of food in the early afternoon. Um, The asphalt on Main Street, because it was a hot day, got so hot and sticky that it kind of melted. And in 1955, women typically would wear a house dress with pearls and high heels. Think of June Cleaver. Okay, so you're walking... No, I wouldn't know about this, but a woman would be walking up Main Street in her high heels, and they would stick to the asphalt. Don't mess with a woman's shoes, right? Even in 1955. Okay, so um, that was going on. The Mark Twain riverboat was overfilled and tipped and nearly capsized. Oh. <laughs> uh, they had a Main Street parade with real live animals, and a tiger and a panther broke loose, got loose, Okay, this is opening day, and um, the Autopia, okay, there were several rides that didn't work at all, they just um, weren't, weren't um, I, I don't have a list of that here, I can't remember what they were, there were three or four major rides that weren't working because they hadn't been completed quite yet. Autopia, which was like a little freeway, you'd drive the little cars, 36 of the cars were wrecked by aggressive drivers, <laughs> <laughs> not a good day, it was not a good day. And in fact, Walt Disney and his, and his staff, his crew, ended up calling that Black Sunday. They called it Black Sunday for years to come. However, it, within seven weeks, Disneyland hit a million visitors. A million within seven weeks. Pretty remarkable. And, um, you know, but by the end of the day when you go, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're broke. And, um, and all of it's just a memory. If you've got a picture, it's great but it's pretty much just a memory. And we've been in this series, and in our series, Ultimate Journey, we have uh, been talking about an, uh, the ultimate place. And I want to look not at the magic kingdom, but on, instead we're going to look today at the master's kingdom, this eternal, unspoiled, perfect place. That's not going to be a memory. It's going to become a, an ongoing reality for those who Trust in Christ now, this is the eighth week in this series that we 've been in about what happens after we die um, so far we 've talked about what uh, we 've talked about the death of a believer and the hope that we have um, in death and we 've talked about the reunion that we 're going to have with people who have gone on ahead of us we 've talked about our con- uh, our, the condition of our body before it 's resurrected we 've talked about the resurrection of the body itself and the special capabilities that we expect our bodies to have at that point. But we haven't, um, we've talked. We've even talked about the death of a child, and it uh, was a very tender topic in early August that uh, we addressed, and, and uh, we've talked about tender things, and we've talked about direct things, too. We have yet to talk about heaven. We haven't started talking about heaven yet. We haven't taken a look at the rewards that we're going to get in heaven um, at, a, at an event in a place called the Bema Seat of Christ. We haven't, we haven't talked about the throne room of God. Uh, which we'll take a bit, a bit of a look at today. We haven't talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We haven't talked about um, the millennium. We haven't talked about the eternal age, which includes um, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about heaven. About, I want to ask the question, what's up there? What's up there? And when it comes to heaven... You know, I think most people don't really spend a lot of mental energy on the topic. Okay, it's just something that's kind of in the background for us, but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's just not on our radar screen, except when a person dies and there's a memorial service, then you hear talk about heaven. Heaven, 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 heaven. We go on a, a steroid dose of heaven, but then we're kind of off the subject again for, until some time again. But, but um, I think most people give very little thought to heaven, Even believers. We very rarely talk about heaven, even though we're going to spend eternity there. And um, what fills, I think, the pulpits of most churches most of the time is about the here and now, you know? How, am I, how do I live now? How do I stay married now? How do I raise my kids now? And how do I manage my finances? All of those kinds of things, and that's all important information. But some consideration of heaven is important, too. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Now, Time Magazine which I don't endorse, I'm not suggesting I'm endorsing, I'm just going to state to you about Time Magazine, um, has shown some interest in the topic repeatedly. Although I think that their information is not authoritative, but it, the point is that they, they show, like for example, there's a very famous cover from April of 1966, big, just big question, is God dead? Some of you would maybe remember that from the 60s. Um, some of you weren't born in the 60s. But from the era of Star Trek, is God dead? And then, then in April of 2011, here's some more. April of 2011, what if there's no hell? March of 97, rethinking heaven. April of 2014, beyond death, the science of the afterlife. April of 2012, is heaven God's space on earth or paradise in the sky? By the way, did you, I don't know if you've been noticing the dates I'm giving you on those. They're always, it's always around Easter, All of a sudden, there's interest on on Time Magazine about God and heaven at Easter time. Okay, figure that out. But there was also one in March of 97, and the question was, the headlines on the front page were, does heaven exist? And in that article, there's a guy writing in that name to David Wells from Gordon um, Conwell Seminary, and here's what he said. We would expect to hear of heaven in evangelical churches, but I don't hear it at all. I don't think heaven is even a blip on the Christian screen from one end of the denominational screen to the other. And I think that's sad because the Bible encourages us to think about our future. It really does. So Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And another translation, the New Living Translation, cuts it to the chase, there I like that version. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not only think about things down here on earth. And that's what we're going to do today. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to fill our thoughts with truths about our future in heaven. What's it look like? What's it sound like? What are we going to see? And there's no better place, I think, to start with that than Revelation chapter 4, which um, was kind of like John's extended tour of heaven, what he saw and what he heard. Now, maybe you recall, um, if you remember news, your newspapers, um, Dear Abby and her sister, Dear Ann Landers. Did you know they were sisters? No. They were. Okay. So they were actually sisters. And um, at one point, um, I think one was helping the other write her column, and then she split off and did her own, and there was a little bit of a family feud, but they got it together towards the end. And anyway, they were, they were literally read between the two of them by over 90 million people a day in their advice column. Kind of interesting. But anyway, so here's this, um, 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 this letter to Ann Landers. Dear Ann Landers, our Cocker Spaniel Rags died yesterday. He was 15 years old, and everyone adored him. Our son asked, Is Rags in heaven? So, I asked our clergyman how to respond. He said, Tell him no, animals don't go to heaven. I believe this is an insensitive response to a nine year old. Can you give me a better one? Signed San Juan. Now, just as a side note, isn't it interesting when we don't hear the answer we want? We'll just keep hunting and pecking until we find one that we. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I'm not suggesting that's the right or the wrong answer. I'm just saying human nature, mine, my, me included. So, so Landers and Landers answers back Dear San Juan. I checked with several authorities, and the best reply came from Andrew McKenna, who's not a theologian but vice chairman of the board of directors of Notre Dame University. He said, Tell the boy, heaven is anything you want it to be. Assure him that he will see everyone he wants to see in heaven, including his pets. (laughs) Now, I'm not here today to address the question of do your pets go to heaven? Another time. But I I want to share this with you because this is how most people think about heaven. What's heaven like? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. No, it's not. Heaven is like what God, the one who made it, made it to be. So we want to see what um, God made it to be. And Paul McCartney was in the news in the last week, um, and uh, just this comment that in some magazine he did where he. He suggested that back in the day um, when he was loaded on some psych- psychedelic drug, he actually saw God, and he described it as a big tower. He was standing at the bottom, and it was a big tower that went off and made him feel little, and, but he knows God is real because of that experience, and I don't know what to say about that, but I don't think that's who God is. Um, but I think people just decide to define heaven, and that's what people think. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 1, and we're going to take a peek. We're going to look at God's word. And see what John, the Apostle John, says. So, Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone, and in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Okay, so I'm not going to unpack the prophetic parts of this. Um, I, I just want to say um, there are several things that we can pick out of this text and see some truth about heaven. First of all, it, heaven is a real place. It's not a made-up ethereal uh, metaphor. It's a real place. And when we find people in the Bible talking about heaven, there were several. Um, Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it, John, Peter, all of them, when they spoke about it, they described it as a real place. And maybe you noticed John's language in this passage. He says, I looked. 12 times in Revelation, he says the phrase, I looked. Um, Another 34 times in the Revelation, he says, I saw. Another 12 times, he says, I heard. His senses are engaged. He's a spectator. He's, He's looking, he's seeing, he's hearing. Heaven's a real place. The, the New Testament gives us, it describes two different people who actually saw heaven or went there, Paul and John. Paul, in his description, he was caught, it says he was caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, but he didn't tell us anything about it. He says, he says I heard an inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. He, he was told, you're not to share about this, so he doesn't. John, on the other hand, he writes everything. He's commanded by the Lord Jesus, tell this, and uh, to reveal it. So John tells us about his extended visit there. Still, there would be some people who would take this passage we've read and literally torture this passage to get it to say that this is just symbolic, it's metaphorical. Uh, Well, heaven's just not real. It's just a projection. It's a a, a wish fulfillment made up by, by weak people who are trying to cope with problems in life. That's what some would do. And the reason I think some people want to suggest that this is a metaphor is because if it's a metaphor, they can define it however they want, just like rags the dog. Believe whatever you want. But heaven's a real place. This is what he saw. This is what he heard. And I I personally believe it's better to believe and trust that God meant what he said that he's not lying to us when he gives us something like this in his word. John saw, John heard. Instead of you know all of these these, these lame jokes that we hear about Peter standing at the gate with his clipboard, checking you off as you enter. I mean, that's cute, but um, not so much scriptural. And I, I think, you know, the other thing too is I'd rather believe the word of God than all of the books that are out there now about someone who's had some kind of experience where they went to heaven and came back. And in fact, an awful lot of those stories contradict themselves contradict each other. So anyway, the book of Revelation, this is God's revelation. In fact, at the very beginning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the history of the book itself is explained there, where God um, gave it to um, Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John. And, and John s- s- saw, he says in, in verse 4, verse 1, a door standing open in heaven. This word heaven appears in the Bible five, over 500 times in the singular, oh, uh, uh, almost 200 times in, in the plural. Over 700 times heaven is mentioned. It's a pretty huge and important topic in God's word. And if you know Christ, it's your future home. So you ought to know some things about it. Paul in Philippians, to the Philippian church, 320, he says, he, he comments, says, we're citizens of heaven. That's home sweet home. It's your home because... Your Father's there. It's your home because your Savior's there. It's your home because your Holy Spirit's there. It's your home because if you trust in Christ, it will be where you are forever. And not just you, but it's your home because all of the people that you know that have trusted in Christ end up there as well. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 1 that that, uh, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, gain. Because when a believer dies, his gain is heaven. Heaven, that's the reward. When the Bible mentions heaven over 700 times, it mentions it in three different ways. Now, this idea of a third heaven is kind of weird because we don't use that phrase. It's not mystical. Um, It's because the word heaven can mean several things. So let me explain that to you. Um, Sometimes in the word of God, when it speaks about heaven, it's talking about our atmosphere. Okay? The first heaven is the atmosphere. It's the terrestrial heaven. It's the, it's the troposphere. It's what we breathe. Okay, the, the, the atmosphere around the earth, Isaiah 55 is an example. The rain comes down in the snow from heaven. Makes perfect sense. Okay, so that's our atmosphere. The second heaven is the celestial heaven. It's what you see at night. It's the planets and the moon and the stars and the galaxies. And sometimes the Bible speaks about the heavens beyond our atmosphere. The example is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Night unto night, they reveal knowledge. And then the third, sometimes the scriptures talk about a third heaven. The third heaven is the heaven. The capital H, heaven. the, The proper place. It's where God dwells. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And it's the heaven that John sees in Revelation chapter 4 we're talking about. Psalm 33 agrees with that. It says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, if you're trying to... um, keep things straight and you're like me you're a little bit analytical and you say well God lives in heaven but we also understand from other places that he's everywhere he's omnipresent how can he be there and right am I the only one that goes off on those kinds of rabbit trails okay so I mean I look at that kind of stuff and I think okay but and, and God is he is present everywhere it, scripture teaches that and that's what Solomon was talking about in First Kings after he had built the temple in Jerusalem he, here's how he prayed behold even heaven's and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you much less this temple which i have built so even though god dwells in heaven it doesn't mean that heaven completely contains god okay i mean it's this unique place of god's habitation it's 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 uniquely his home it's it's his home base it's his headquarters it's it's where his throne is it's the place where from which he operates our father in heaven matthew chapter 6 of jesus words um uh, But there's something else in this mix. I just want to insert for now because it'll become important downstream um, later on. Though heaven is real, it isn't permanent. It's not permanent. Scripture teaches that even this heaven is destined to be replaced. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Isaiah, Peter, John, they all speak about not just a new earth, but a new heaven. And we're going to discuss that in future weeks. Jesus even said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay, so Jesus even commented about it. So, So what's it mean to you and me practically if it's going to pass away? It means your home, is going to be gone. <laughs> Crossroads Church, gone. The United States of America, gone. The Himalayas, gone. The Tour de France, Gone. Gone. And maybe you wonder, well, why would God need to make a new heaven? What's wrong with the one we we've got? Well, I mean, the earth we can say, well, okay, it's being polluted. We get that it needs to be refreshed. We get that. But what's wrong with heaven? Come back next time and we'll talk about that. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that today. We'll talk about that in future weeks. So heaven's a real place. Second thing I want to point out is that heaven has a relative position. Now, I have to tell you. Um, I'm going to preach to you the truth of what the word says here, but it's not completely satisfying to me because I would like to point to it on a map. (laughs) That's not going to be possible. Um, Verse one, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet saying, saying with me, come up here. So where's heaven? The simple answer is up, up. In fact, in the Bible, that is always the orientation when it's speaking of heaven. It's always up. Now, I'm not too sure how helpful that is here. Everybody point up. Okay. I think you're roughly accurate in Rochester, Washington. <laughs> but if you're on the Isle of Patmos, where this was written, up is kind of like, not straight down, but kind of off. Or if you decided that up meant up in Jerusalem, it's a different direction. It's a, even Patmos and Jerusalem are different directions of up. So I'm not too sure that up really helps us find heaven. I'm just frustrated by that. Um, <laughs> the Old Testament word for heaven, um, shemayim, literally means the heights, elevations. It's a relative position. I think, in fairness to me, I don't want to just, just uh, figure that out because I, I can't, but I, I just figure it's going to be higher than any place I will ever be able to go, literally or figuratively. Heaven, it's up. The New Testament, the Greek word, Uranus, Uranus. We have a word in our English language that was the that, that is that same word, that Greek word, um, inspired the name for our seventh planet, Uranus, and it just means the same thing. Up, it's in the heavens. Up is this orientation that we find all through the Bible, and there's lots of examples. Deuteronomy 26: the, the, the Israelites, the Israelite children, were instructed to pray, "Look down from your holy habitation from heaven." They're talking to God. And bless your people. Look down from heaven and the land that you've given us. Acts, Acts one eleven. The disciples were standing around watching as Jesus ascended. Jaws hanging. I figure. Don't you figure? Whatever they're doing. Do you? I mean, okay. I see stuff like this and I'm thinking, okay, do they all look like dopes going? On? Because there's this angel that comes and says, what do you, you people do? Um, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? You know if you leave your mouth open like that a bird's going to go in there and, and lay eggs. No, that's not that part wasn't in there. <laughs> okay. The same Jesus who was taken up from heaven will soon come in like manner up into heaven. Will take you up go into heaven. Ephesians 4 describes Jesus as the one who ascended far above all the heavens. At the rapture of the church, another example in 1st Thessalonians, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise up, and then we who are alive shall remain and be caught up together. Up, up, up. And that, that orientation continues all the way to the very end in the eternal state we, where we see this new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 says, I, I John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So heaven's up. It's called up in the Bible. So how far up? Maybe you don't care. It's a long ways up. I think. It must be a very, very long... And and God gives us a clue in Psalm 8. He says, You have set your glory above the heavens. That's above the atmosphere, above Uranus, above Cygnus X. You know what Cygnus X was, right? First powerful X-ray source. First black hole. Okay. Any science teachers here in the room, you knew what Cygnus is. Okay. Um, Above the North Star. You set your glory above the heavens. It's unimaginably far. I think, for example, just to get to Pluto, by the way, Pluto is back in the argument now about whether it's a planet or it's not. It's kind of tilting towards yes, it is, in case you care about. I am the only space nerd in this room. (laughs) Okay. If you wanted to get to Pluto and you drove your car there, okay, and you could drive your car at 65 miles an hour, it would only take you 6,293 years. I think you'd run out of air with that top down like that by then. If you could speed your car up to the speed of light, which is really fast, it's 671 million miles an hour. That's, you can't go that fast around here. If you could go that fast, it'd still take you 4.6 hours. In fact, if you could make your car go that fast, and you wanted to cross the, the known universe 91 billion years... God says His home is above the heavens. So, how long does it take? Maybe you know the answer. How long does it take to get to heaven? Instant. That's right. It's instant. The answer is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus was on the cross, and and He said to the thief, "Today you will be with Me in paradise." He didn't say, "Hey, in ninety-one miles, in ninety-one billion years." If your car can go, He didn't say that. He said, "Today." Now, I, I admit, and I think it's a bit naive. Um, and probably wrong to try to calculate the distance to the third heaven, okay? But, um, I mean, at the very least, when you say heaven is up, we mean it's above the commonplace. It's, it's above the experiences and the conditions that we have on this. Earth. It's up. Okay, one more thing to notice, another thing. When John was taken into heaven, he went to heaven alone. There's no suitcase, no laptop, No Samsung Note 9, iPhone X, no Starbucks. No luggage, no bank account. Job described it. He said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't take anything with you. All of the preparations you make for heaven You have to make them here before you go. And when the time comes, you go alone. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Jesus is suggesting an investment strategy. You start storing treasures up there now so that when you get there, they'll be there. Okay, so the fourth um, thing we're gonna grab and final thing we're gonna grab out of this passage. Okay, heaven is real, has a relative position of up. It's, um, you're gonna go alone to find the things that you've stored up there. And then notice the fourth thing is that heaven highlights this remarkable person. And to me, this is the greatest thing about heaven. Verse two, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, behold is like saying, wow, check this out, okay? Behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The first thing to catch John's eye is his throne. By the word, this word throne gets mentioned 13 times in chapter 4. It's a pretty important. It's more, but it's more than a piece of furniture. It's this symbol of authority. It's, it, for, the, for the one who sits on it, it's where God exercises his sovereignty. And I, I think this, though. I think that even though heaven is a real place, I think it's helpful to think of it more in terms of personalities there's, a, there's an out-of-print booklet by a guy named Don Baker called Heaven, A Glimpse of Your Future Home. Um, and here's an excerpt I would read to you. He writes, I've always been fascinated with heaven. When I was younger, though, I thought of heaven only as a great shining city with vast walls and magnificent domes and soaring spires and with nobody in it but white-robed angels who were total strangers to me. That doesn't sound that good. And then my beloved, sounds like, It's a small world. (laughs) Which is a form of torture in Disney anyways. Okay. And then my beloved pastor died, and then my grandfather died, and my father died, and my son died, and then my father-in-law died, and then one by one my dear friends began dying, three of them this past week. He keeps writing. Heaven is no longer walls and domes and spires, but people. People who are loved and missed, people who are precious and whose faces I long to see. Heaven is like home in many respects. It's not what we have in our home that makes it precious, but whom? And I think when you think about heaven in terms like that, you know, not, not what, but whom, the ultimate whom is God himself. The main attraction in heaven is God. What gets John's attention when he sees this throne is the one who sat on it. So you'll be in heaven if, you trust in Christ if, if he's your savior if not you won't be there and it's not just about you know you in heaven it's about the people that you know in heaven it's not about are your pets going to be in heaven the main central focus in heaven is going to be God heaven's supreme delight you know, this, this unbroken fellowship with God, with real fellowship. Revelation 21 says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. It's like, it's like saying, God, look, God lives right here. His house is on this block. He's right here with us. John continues, "God Himself will be with them and be their God." This word "dwell," this Greek word "dwell," li- literally means to pitch a tent. The idea there is to is is you're you're hanging out, you're camping with your family. I, mean, I don't know if camping means to you, but to me it means s'mores with my granddaughter. It means really cool. It means hanging with the people I love. It's one of the best things in life. You know, it's this. Uh, it's it's the, the idea of pitching the tent Is to enjoy the company It's fellowship with people Intimate fellowship And I know that today We have fellowship with God I, I, I get that You know We call that our personal relationship and, But you don't see him For the most part And you mostly don't hear his audible voice I know that Jesus said where When two or more gather in my name, I'm in their place. I know that. And I, I, I know that Jesus said, behold, I'm with you even always until the end of the age. I know, I know that. But it's different. It's different. It's gonna be. And to, what we have today is, although real, it's very limited. But Paul describes the issues, the changes here in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, for we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Face to face. And with God Speaks with you in heaven, there'll be no mistaking it. I mean, I go on these quests at times going, Lord, show me your will. I need to hear your voice. And somehow I've got to quiet all the static of my life and hope I get it right. And sometimes I need to confirm it by people who speak into my life. And I say, Hey, I think this Lord's speaking this to me. It sounds crazy. And they'll go, Yeah, that is God. Or, No, you're nuts. Right? And I'm not clear. In heaven, When God looks you in the eyes and talks to you, you're going to know it was God. Not because of his sternness, but because of his overwhelming love, you will know God is speaking to you. There's none of this, did I I really hear God? You're going to look, you're going to see, face to face, full, unbroken, eternal fellowship. And John's description of God is interesting because he doesn't say anything at all really about God's form or his features, he just, he just describes God in terms of what he knows on the earth. These, these gems, most precious things he can think of. They're so brilliant. It's like this light show. It says, and he who sat there was like a jasper. Now, ancient jasper, um, we believe, was crystal clear. Jasper today isn't like that. What we call jasper is different. But it was crystal clear, the best jasper. It was probably, he was probably seeing what we would call today a perfect diamond, and it's this brilliance, and all the colors, and none of the colors. And, um, and then it says, and like a Sardis stone. Sardis is this ruby red. Maybe you could describe it as blood red. And most theologians would say, okay, that's, that's em, em, emblematic of the blood that was shed to get me to heaven and you. I, I think the scene was probably really, really difficult for John to describe. It's good that he had some help from the Holy Spirit here. Charles Spurgeon, who um, preached a sermon about seeing God, here's what his prayer was about the topic. He said, The thing for which I pray above all others would be forever to behold his face, forever to know that I am his, forever to dwell, pitch my tent with him, Yet one short glimpse, one transitory vision of his glory, one brief glance at his exalted and beaming countenance would repay almost a whole world of trouble. It's like all the bad stuff, all the bad stuff, you see God and it's fixed. <laughs> it's gone in an instant. And here's, here's what I want to wrap up today with. This glorious, brilliant, sovereign resplendent being that John sees he's your father he's your father if you have a relationship with him this glorious all-consuming one is your father you are going to be living at God's house moving in with him and loved ones I don't think you're ever going to get tired of it I don't think you're ever going to get used to this I don't think it's going to be, oh, forever playing the same song on a harp floating on a cloud. That is not heaven. But I don't think we're going to get tired of it. You know, for one reason, because the Bible describes it, says, Behold, I make all things new. So, his kingdom, the Master's kingdom, is way better than the magic kingdom. And I like the magic kingdom. You know, this is the kingdom of the lamb, it's way better than the kingdom of the mouse it's this place that the Father has prepared for you and for me and um, God's purpose in creating you have you wondered His purpose in creating you is to get you there that's His purpose to get you there and the way that He gets you there is not by making heaven what you want to make it be It's, it's not by being a good person it's not by you making your own way to get there. There's only one way to get there, and the way that you get there is God's way, the one who made it. It's his deal. And you can't just decide to go. You have to be invited. The thing is, you've all been invited. You've all been invited, but you've been invited to come in his way. And the provision that God made for you to come and answer that invitation is his son, Jesus Christ. His son. His son. If you say yes and you will allow Jesus to make the payment for your sin, we we say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner and I fall short of glory. I'm imperfect and there's no way I can claim this. I can't boast and say I made eternal life for myself. Only you can do that, God. If you say that, you accept that He came and He paid the price and He rose from the dead specifically. He's your Savior. That's like, RSVP, yes, God, I'm coming to heaven. Confirmed. I used to remember when I would go on an airplane flight years ago, if you looked at your ticket, you wanted to see the word confirmed on your airplane ticket because that guaranteed you were getting on plane. They didn't all say that. And if you ever had a ticket that didn't say confirmed, you didn't know if you were getting on. Okay. RSVP God, he says, confirmed. In the name of Christ, confirmed. Paid in full. And if you do that, you'll be in heaven. It's that simple. If you haven't done that, I pray that today would be the day that you would say, okay, I cannot pay my way to heaven. I need God to pay it for me. I'm gonna let him do it. I'm gonna receive the gift. Let's pray. Lord, you actually described this becoming process. And you, your word says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So Lord, I pray people, people here, Lord, today, people hearing this message would be tender in their heart. To hear that truth, as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to become children of God. Lord, that's your precious way. While we're praying, church, I would say if you've never made that decision, why not do it right now? Settle this issue of eternity today, not by joining a church, but by accepting this gift of the payment of your sin by Christ. If that's what you're doing, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Eyes are closed. I'm going to look around the room. Just. Give me a little hand wave and let me pray with you. Right now, lift your hand up. Thank you, Lord. God, I want to thank you for a room full of people who love you and know you. And Lord, we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name.